0: Case file number 5.01, Crypto Wars, The Phantom Menace. Observed by Agent Crenshaw. Agent Crenshaw. Still working on this Gibson thing. Don't no, Chief, you, you gotta give me more time. Have you even listened to the recordings? It's like an encyclopedia of this hacker stuff. One of them just keeps going on and on about everything that ever went wrong on the internet. No. Nobody knows this kind of crap. He's obviously up to no good. Yeah, the one called Hackalope. No, how is it not illegal? The information is dangerous. And and the other one, the other one, Ymir. He's always going on about everything the CIA and FBI did wrong. All the wiretap stuff, all the crazy projects. How does he know? We already know he's infiltrated NASA, and I am this close to catching him skipping leg day. Now just ask yourself, Chief, what would J. Edgar Hoover do? <laughs> Chief, all I need is more time. Sooner or later, they're going to slip up, and I will catch them hacking the Gibson. Uh, the accounting subdirector of the Gibson's working really hard. I think we got a hacker.
1: Hey, Amir. Yeah. After the couple of uh, Crypto Wars episodes that we've done so far, how trustworthy do you think the NSA and the rest of the US intelligence apparatus is when defining cryptography and uh, having our best interests at heart?
0: Well, since they're listening to this podcast, I imagine they are completely trustworthy and I would never go against them.
1: Well, I mean, on the upside, they're listening to this podcast and that like doubles our listener base. <laughs> Uh, So the thing is that they've had a little bit of damned if you do, damned if you don't problems, because in the original DES standard, they didn't want to be in it because they thought they were going to get hammered because people thought it would be backdoored if they had any hand in it. And they tried to keep it at arm's length. And then they had to go ahead and produce their own S-boxes and say by fiat, this is what you had to use because of a criteria they didn't tell anybody about. So they tried to keep it at arm's length, and then in order to make it secure, they totally (laughs) fell into doing a thing that couldn't be verified in a transparent way. You know, there are things to be worried about, and as far as that's concerned, and this is actually one of the biggest ones in my mind. When I originally was writing this episode, I thought that there was going to be more than one story like this of a government organization specifically sabotaging a cryptographic implementation, the whole implementation, not just a single thing, but the whole standard by which it was implemented. It turns out that very few organizations actually release cryptographic standards that get used throughout the world. I'm not saying that the US government apparatus is the only one, but based on my back of the envelope count, they're the biggest single provider the single biggest standard giver I mean, of between getting those standards built for them or standardizing them in their publications. Nobody really has the same pull that the US government does in the crypto world that we have right now. I've talked a little bit about previously how there are some other algorithms that are out there released by various folks. Even some of the algorithms that were contenders for AES are unencumbered by, by uh, licensing that are. Pretty secure, like the seven finalists, any one of them, all of them passed the security side of things. And the finalists were determined by performance. So it's not that there's no crypto available, it's that cryptography is not just about key agreement. I mean, going back to the SSL episode and everything that you work on in order to make crypto work, it's a system. And everybody has to agree on how you're doing it, especially in cryptography, because you can't get it kind of right. You have to get it exact or things don't decrypt. So, standards are super important and the locus of a lot of standards is the US government. So, it's really important that they get it right. So, there isn't really other stories to tell because nobody has the same impact on the world of cryptography that we use that the US government does. Like it just doesn't happen. So, this is one of those balanced kind of things to say is that yeah, this happened and it's really bad, but the only reason it could happen is because all of the good that set the groundwork for this and without the 10,000 pound gorilla in the room of the standards being set by the US government how long would it take for us to get cryptographic algorithms adopted everywhere i mean even the super distrustful people in the in the crypto coinage world all use sha256 and algorithms that are defined by these same standards Um, They didn't write their own crypto. I mean, and you shouldn't, but like they didn't.
0: I thought it was rule number one of crypto: was write your
1: own crypto. Rule number one of crypto is don't write your own crypto. (laughs) Don't talk about crypto. No, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) So this is about elliptical curve cryptography, which is say just Uh ECC for brevity, is essentially a new way of approaching asymmetric cryptography.
0: Mm, Okay.
1: When we talked about components of cryptography, we talked about um, about hashes and symmetric cryptography, which are S-box based stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the original implementations, all of the RSA, DSA, original implementations of asymmetric cryptography, digital signatures, asymmetric encryption, are all, uh, we're all around prime factoring. Okay. And this is instead of using prime factoring, elliptical curves. And these are both mathematical problem sets where if you have enough of the variables you can solve Easily for a single unknown, but if you don't have enough uh, enough of the variables, you can't solve. It's nearly impossible to solve for for the unknown.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right, right. Like that's the kind of problem that they're looking for, and we're not going to get into the math because I only kind of understand the math, and mm-hmm. I definitely don't understand it well enough to describe it in audio. And <laughs> I'm not a good enough host to do it in audio and make it entertaining.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, that's, that's a hard one.
1: <laughs> yeah, but for all of us. You and me as professionals, and hopefully other professionals that, 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 that may be listening, mm-hmm. uh, you don't actually need to know the math. You just need to know what the math does right. That is more or less to, to say don't get intimidated by cryptography just because you don't understand it all the way down to the bit level.: Yeah, yeah yeah. yeah. Another thing that's based in that is the key exchange mechanism, which again we all talk, we talked a lot about the foundations of all of that in the first Crypto Wars episode. Mm-hmm. The thing that I like about elliptical curve is that it's based on algebra that you probably learned if you got far enough in math classes. It's based on conic sections. So it's just a quadratic equation.
0: Okay.
1: If you take a cone and you slice straight down parallel to the base, mm-hmm. you will get a parabola. Uh, if you cut it straight across, you'll get a circle. If you cut it on the bias, you'll get an ellipse.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay.
1: And then if you take two cones point to point that are the same and you take a slice out of it, just like a parabola, you get a a hyperbola. It's not a hyperbole. It's a hyperbola. (laughs) Um, Anyway, but those are the conic sections that we learn about in algebra. It's Mm -hmm. defined by a quadratic equation. And if you pick the right constants, it's really hard to solve for the result, assuming you pick good constants. Dun, right, right. dun dun dun! <laughs> That's foreshadow as foreshadowing as I as I'm gonna get. So the other thing that is important that elliptical curve implementations are supposed to help with mm-hmm. are random number generators, mm-hmm. okay, or pseudo random mm-hmm. number generators. Because if you get down to the botanic bits of things, everything's deterministic in a computer, or right. More, more or less theoretically, there there's, are there's are been some talk.
0: Many, yeah. many memes about random number generators on programmer humor on Reddit.
1: Right, yeah. Now, if you have a good random number generator, it's not predictable. And there was some stuff that uh, like Dan Kaminsky, going back to to some of the work that he did, he had a set of things called Docker Rand, which actually used things within the computer like uh, temperature sensors and, and whatnot to use as random number generation seeds mm-hmm. and stuff. Okay. So you take like the last five significant digits of a temperature sensor mm-hmm. as a random number input mm, or something okay. like that. So he was getting random generation by actual physical factors right. rather than the deterministic thing, which is why there's like, this is one of those, yeah, pretty much, but actually like, don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. More or less, don't worry about it on an everyday basis. Right, right. You worry about it on like, major implementation basis right now there's a lot of reasons to you that where random number generation is important in cryptography but one is a nonce value where you create a value that is only used once uh in order to create a seed mechanism so you don't get duplicate blocks but the really important one the one that we're real that that's kind of the the most important one about the the thing today is that in asymmetric cryptography, we've talked about this before, the length of the message that you can encrypt with asymmetric cryptography is quite short. So what we tend to do is we encrypt the entire message using symmetric cryptography, and then we take that key and encrypt it using asymmetric cryptography. Hmm, okay. Right? So then you transmit the asymmetric cryptography, you decrypt it with your private key, boom, you're, you're in business. Mm-hmm. But that key that you transmit through asymmetric cryptography for the symmetric stuff, You can't just reuse the same key or else the last guy that got a message will will know the key to your message. Right,
0: right, exactly. There's nothing that
1: stops him from doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where do you get those keys? Well, you have to generate them on the fly, Hmm. randomly, dun, dun, dun. Um, (laughs) So in the 2000s, NIST wanted to get in on this new ECC hotness. So they started a working group Various government agencies, including the NSA, and they came to working on a standard for uh, what's called dual elliptic curve deterministic random bit generator, mm, okay. dual EC DRBG. This was the first published as a draft in NIST SP eight hundred ninety A. Okay,
0: uh,
1: I forget if that's special publication or 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 or, or what um, the SP does stand for this is a supplemental publication or, 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 special publication. I forget exactly which. Um, right, right. And like they've been working on this. So in June of, of 2004, it was also released in ANSI X9.82.
0: Okay.
1: Here's the thing during the ANSI meeting, or during one of the ANSI meetings where they were working on the publication X9.82, Mm-hmm. One of the listed authors of the NIST publication, John Kelsey, uh, said that it was possible that carefully chosen constants could allow a backdoor into the random number generator. And again, if you can pr- have some level of prediction on the random number generator, that significantly reduces the key space that you have to work through in order to decrypt the symmetric messages.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: In in the specific case of you know creating those ephemeral keys having a backdoor into the random number generator gives you the ability to decrypt messages.
0: Right, right.
1: With significantly less CPU outlay. And the thing is, they knew to talk about this because a backdoor uh, of this type was originally theorized by uh, Young and Young, uh, Y-O-N-G and Y-U-N-G mm-hmm. um, in their cryptovirology paper, Cryptography Using Cryptography Against Cryptography. Now, the thing is, this is actually not the first time this paper has come up, because <laughs> this paper was also the paper that theorized the use of crypto ransomware
0: right?
1: that we talked about in the first, episode, in the first ransomware episode. Um, I found it very interesting that they came back to that. It was like, wait, <laughs> I know those names. <laughs> like, wait a second. <laughs> so uh, there were several papers between October 2003 or so and 2007 or so that we're like, hey, maybe dual EC DRBG has some weakness. It seems that it, there's some biases in the random number generator. Mm. And progressively, people are like, wait a minute. We're afraid that somebody may have generated a set of secret constants that work alongside of the constants that are in here mm. that may allow for the, the derivation of things like symmetric keys. Right, right. Other weird thing about it was, it was about three times slower than it should have been. Oh, okay. One of the difficulties about this is that it was in a NIST publication. NIST publication was was finalized in, in June of 2006. Mm-hmm. And the dual EC DRBG was one of the four permissible cryptographic secure pseudo-random number generators uh, defined in that publication. Okay. So. There were only four options to use for a pseudo-random number generator to be compliant with the NIST 800 series of documentations, which for everybody that doesn't work in the government world is basically the core of all the information security um, standards. Mm -hmm. Like NIST 800 is the core of everything. There's just a bunch of publications in the 800 series or special publications for 800 that are your life if you have to uh, deal with standards compliance in the government in the u.s government world
0: right yeah yeah.
1: as you and i are well aware (laughs) (laughs) so bruce uh schneider the guy who wrote the big red book applied cryptography wrote an article for wired saying did the nsa put a secret backdoor into the new encryption standard based on uh dan chamow and niles ferguson's presentation uh about ecdrbg okay and Again, there were several people that produced papers in here. I, and it's one of those things where it's like, is it too many to name or is it not too many names? To name? But it was a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, like it continued to be a standard. And then mm, something okay. happened. And Reuters reported that information released by Snowden showed that the NSA pushed to be the sole authors of the Dual ECDRBG standard. Oh, okay. And that they did have a backdoor secret, secret constants to use for it. Oh. So they, 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 they did it on purpose. Right. Another thing that came out was so, like, we just touched on RSA because it's not important to crypto wars, but they're really important to cryptography. The RSA algorithm and man. Like I remember, reinvest, but the other two guys, uh, Shamir, and I should remember, but I don't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But RSA was the first asymmetric algorithm. Really important. All of the the token keys that we that that we use, all the physical token keys you may have seen, mm-hmm. you probably used. Those are all based basically on asymmetric cryptography and basically using a time slice to generate a six digit code. And that mechanism is exactly how everybody else's soft and hard tokens work. Mm -hmm. Implementations may vary, but that's how you have two independent things coming up with the same answer to the same math problem in a way that can't be reasonably predicted by doing this. They both keep the same time. They both run the same calculation through the same key. And that's how you get it. So like really important to cryptography, they've been big advocates for a lot of um, a lot of things. They, they were part of uh, I believe that they were one of the the or one of the organizations that put up the they were the organization that put up the prize for breaking des. Mm,
0: all right.
1: But here's the thing. They took 10 million dollars from the NSA to use the dual ECDRBG algorithm in their b product as the. Default random number generator. Okay, they said that they would never do anything that they that they've never ba- uh, uh, produced backdoor algorithms and all this. But it was worth reporting. It was re- worth reporting in in uh, I believe the New York Times mm-hmm. that they took the money f- for for this based on this on the Snowden documents and used what the NSA knew <laughs> was a backdoor algorithm. Right. Yeah. So it was shortly after that. In 2014, the government removed uh ECDRBG from the NIST standard.
0: Uh-huh.
1: But it was there for eight years from a final standard and about 10 from its original publication, 10 uh-huh. or 11 from its original publication. And this is potentially a keys to the kingdom thing because if you implement this, let's say you have a Linux system. In fact, one of the worries that's that, uh, that was had by... Uh, by some of the folks doing a uh, key discovery research for SSH protocols and SSL protocols mm-hmm. in October, 2003, uh, Go, Bona, Pincus, and Goli. They basically said that if you've got a backdoored uh, random number generator, the key system, the Esker key can't be trusted. And there's a huge, overhead to doing it any other way. So if you've got a backdoor random number generator. Everything that uses that random number generator is vulnerable. And everything that uses asymmetric cryptography, kind of regardless of what type is vulnerable because you're bypassing the asymmetric cryptography entirely. You're right. going directly against the symmetric algorithm. And you're, again, you're not attacking the algorithm. You're attacking the key because mm-hmm. you can determine the key based on traffic by the system i've said it a bunch offline i don't know that i've said it very much here but in almost all cryptographic attacks you're not attacking the algorithm you're attacking key management right right. because unless you're the nsa or (laughs) somebody very much like them you're probably not going to win against the algorithm that being said one of the things that was super important to this and the other stories that we've had so far in the crypto war series, and this is can't decide if this is the last or the second to last episode on this. Um, is that the community analysis is vastly important to this? Mm-hmm. It's probably our best validation of the many eyes approach. That's uh, the free open source software movement's mantra. Doesn't always work, and. We we've shown a co- at least a couple of cases where it was a bit of a problem, right. um, but without transparency to the use of algorithms, the cryptographic community couldn't have given scrutiny to these things, and wouldn't have shown that fifty six bits was not enough in the nineties for DES. That mm-hmm. the ECD DRBG standard was not sufficient, that had at least glaring weaknesses and then essentially confirmed or probabilistically confirmed that uh, it was backdoored. right. I mean the same folks that are that are charged with making sure our algorithms are secure are also the people charged with spying on us.
0: Mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah there's no conflict of interest there at all. Well, or there is,
1: and we've done four episodes on it. <laughs> uh, well, three episodes. The I think the third episode, which again is most is not in most people's definition mm. of crypto wars, is really important. Even if it, it wasn't a government thing, the government had a hand in it with the with the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, and it was crypto analysis versus people wanting to kind of get away with something. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And in that case, it was a weak system. So, and that was uh, *Crypto Wars: Phantom Menace*.
0: Hell
1: yeah! Was it better? Was it better than the *Star Wars* one? Worse? Uh, Did I not include enough Jar Jar Binks?
0: Oh, you got to have more Jar Jar. Uh, <laughs> that'll be the uh, the re-release.
1: Well, yes, we'll redo this, except that we'll get a voice actor to do it all as Jar Jar Binks. Exactly.
0: Find out about new episodes at r slash Hacking the Gibson on Reddit and support the podcast by contributing at the Wikimedia Foundation or Electronic Frontier Foundation.